Blog Talk Radio. Like a comet blazing across the evening Lost celebrities like Rock Hudson, Anthony Perkins, Amanda Blake, Arthur Ashe, Liberace, and the lovely Sylvester to the HIV-AIDS epidemic. But we've also lost many without the name, the title, or the label celebrity attached. This show is solely dedicated to every man or woman who's lost their fight to HIV and AIDS. Even though you are no longer with us in the physical, We keep your memories alive and know that we are all fighting to end this epidemic that's continued to plague our LGBTQ community. We salute you and we honor you, not only today, but every day. I ask now for a brief moment of silence to all that we've lost along the way. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the Talk with Micah and Friends. It's been a few weeks, actually, since you've heard my voice, but I'm so very glad that you all have joined me on tonight for episode show number 30. I want to remind everyone that they can follow the show various ways to always stay in touch and in tune to what we're actually doing over here in these parts. You can follow us here on Blog Talk Radio by always visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Talk with Micah. You can also go to hipcast.com, that's H-I-P. C-A-S-T dot com. At the top, you will select Podcast Directory. In the search engine, simply enter in the Talk with Mike and Friends, and there you will see all previous 29 episodes dating all the way back to December 2013. Last but not least, for those of you who are linked to iTunes, be that by your iPhone device or iTunes software on your computer, you can search for the show within the podcast library. You can subscribe for free and listen to all episodes there as well. So again, you have various sites and outlets to always stay connected with the show. And remember, all shows and subscriptions are totally free. Now don't forget to always stay tuned a little later in the show for this week's grand, gorgeous, and gag segment. 
That segment will actually debut either a makeup artist, a stylist, or a fitness guru to provide us with helpful tidbits that can assist us on standing grand, looking ever so gorgeous, and continuously making the children gag. Okay, so please stay tuned for that. Remember, if you have any show ideas, feel free to email us at thetalkwithmica at gmail.com, and we'll gladly follow up on any suggestions made. Well, I believe I'll go ahead and get off my soapbox for now. We'll be right back after an announcement from writer Craig Stewart and the Greater Than Speak Out campaign. Words never spoken is more than a book. It's a movement. It's for the man that's trapped in the closet, the man that's teaching himself how to lie, how to sneak, how to cheat, how to get over, and how to pass. It's for the little boy that wants to tell his mommy and daddy that he likes boys. It's for the man that will marry a girl knowing he's gay. It's for the man that will almost end his life because he's afraid the truth just may come out. It's my attempt to heal the frustrations that come with being gay, black and gay in particular. It offers permission to just be without apology. What's up, people? This is Craig Stewart. I am the author of Words Never Spoken, a memoir. It's available on Amazon.com, or you can download it to any e-reader. You can even visit my website at www.craigthewriterstewart.com. Growing up, I didn't know anyone black or gay, so there were a lot of things that I went through. Gay was synonymous with sin. It was synonymous with hell. It was, it was silent. For over a year, I lived my life in silence. As I was a child, you know, growing up, I've experienced a lot of different injustices, just being a, a gay man of color in this country. HIV and sex were seldomly talked about growing up in my Wisconsin Lutheran family. Everyone around me was pretty much white and straight. The homophobia that I'd have to deal with within my community is very intense. Growing up closeted on the res wasn't easy, and there wasn't a lot of information on sexual health or or homosexuality. All I knew about being a gay black man was HIV. It was synonymous. I don't even remember when or why or how I learned about HIV, but I do remember being scared of it. I'm afraid that being gay will cause me to lose a lot of the people that I care about. Sometimes there's people in my life that are important to me, but they may not understand what I'm going through as an HIV-positive person. One time, I went to get tested with one of my partners, and his result came back positive, and mine came back negative. But that was a, a wake-up call. It was like I was looking into a mirror at myself, exact same age, exact same background, exact same goals in life. But yet, it made me ask, why not me? Uh, I was hurt because he was going through something that he felt as though he couldn't disclose to me. Here I am in this field, you know, being an advocate for this. And my brother had it the whole time and never told me. What I hated most about HIV was disclosing my status. Because when I disclosed, I then became Abraham with HIV instead of Abraham, the pre-med student. Not knowing myself and being unable to speak my truth, to share my vulnerability with someone, prevented me from understanding who I was and what I deserved. I just needed to have that constant affirmation. And I didn't even realize that it was me needing to talk to my mother until 
I actually told her. I psyched myself out to believe to believe the stigma. I have HIV. HIV doesn't have me. My past doesn't determine my future. And living with HIV doesn't determine who I am. I mean, I just feel like that I should I should have died a long time ago, but I'm still here. Everyone has a calling for them. Whatever it may be, you just have to dig down and try to find it. The battle of HIV isn't really over. This is just the beginning. And everything that I've been through, the people that I've come in contact with, my mentors, my friends who've been affected, they've all been the reason as to why I speak out. But the reason why I work so passionately the way that I do is because the people that I service and the people who are close to me, those are the people who deserve that type of environment. Those are the people who I've given damn near everything for. When I was 20 years old, I remember three people close to me admitting to me that they were and disclosing to me that they were HIV positive. It greatly affected me. Even though I wasn't infected, I was really affected. And in that moment, at that time in my life, I really became more educated. I started practicing safer sex. I started pre uh, practicing what I preach. Ask your partner about their HIV status. Know your own status, and let's kick the stigma associated with people living with HIV. So now, as I look back upon the things that I've done before, I'm much more happier. A healthy queer community, to me, really needs to embrace all of themselves so that we can fuck the way that we want to fuck, so that we can love the way we want to love, and so that we can be respected by our by like our own standards and nobody else's. I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to know my status. The most important thing is, I have a story, and that story matters. We speak out because we're important, our lives are important. I speak out for people of my past, people of my current, and people of my future. I speak out because I don't want other people to suffer in silence. We have to stop having silent sex. We need to talk. We need to shake. We need to be verbal. We need to get dirty. We are going to make a change that this world needs to see. In the end, I know that there are a lot of others out there who are also afraid. And that's why I speak out. Back in March, I decided to produce a show centered around HIV AIDS and the awareness. I invited two individuals who work in the field of HIV and AIDS prevention and two individuals who were living with the virus to speak openly and candidly about the virus and its effects on the LGBTQ community. Out of my 29 episodes, that was, to date, my very personal favorite interview and favorite show, actually. I learned so much on that night and was empowered to learn more about the virus and and its effects to people and this particular community. So, of course, it was only right that I have a part two. With this panel, I wanted to be able to educate more so, but also have the tough conversation that so many are afraid to touch or even to tackle. I invited two of the guys back to the show, and I added two new guys. Um, So let's go ahead and welcome everyone to the show. I want to welcome Danny, Saez. Jaquarius and Andrew. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Thank you so very much again for being a part of tonight's discussion. I really appreciate it. Um, to my listening audience, if you have a question for this panel or would like to pose a topic for us to discuss, please feel free to press 1. Now, before I go on, um, I do want to let my guests know <laughs> really quickly that um, if you happen to be listening to the show from another source, could you turn it off because I have an echo, something that hasn't happened in six, seven months, but I know it's either because you're on speakerphone or because you're actually listening or hearing it from another source. So if you could, or you may be even on a Bluetooth. Some of them don't work. So if you can kind of put the phone up to your ear or get your wired headset, I would greatly appreciate that. Um, but um, we're going to go ahead and, and jump right into the show um, with actually something that was discussed on a previous episode. Um, I did it back in, like, August. Um, it was titled, A Healthy Conversation Leads to a Healthy Debate. And I want to play a clip from the tail end of that show, which centered around individuals revealing HIV statuses via social media. So I want you guys to listen carefully to the question as well as the guy's response, and then we're going to go back and discuss. So, guys, are you ready to listen? I'm ready. Yeah? Okay, great. Ready. So, so let me play it. I'm going to mute us, but I want you to, uh, I would just want you to listen. Hold on one second. When it pertains to the HIV-AIDS epidemic in our community, you know, many rest on platforms wanting those of our community to know your status, for you to get tested, and to practice safe sex. But it seems that when people go to the lengths of posting their current HIV statuses, be that negative or positive, there are people or individuals out there who have a problem with people being vocal about their recently known status. So um, anyone who wants to chime in, what do you feel um, about those individuals that post pictures of their results online? And do you think that it's a private matter not meant to be, not meant to be public knowledge? So that's a two-part question. So, you know, what do you feel about those who, you know, post pictures of their results? And then, you know, um, if you want to, you know, chime in as far as do you think that, you know, that portion is more of a private, private matter with you and your family and your close friends? Okay, I'll jump in because everyone knows that I'm very vocal about this issue. Um, mm -hmm. I I do think it's, it should be a private matter. I'm not okay. going to say it is because for some people don't believe in it. My personal opinion is that it should be a private matter. Your status should be discussed only between you, your doctor, and anyone you're having sex with. Okay. Um, I do think that posting it, posting your status on social media is a bit inappropriate, and it's also um, insensitive to those who may or may not be mm -hmm the same or or, or different status um mm -hmm. to those to whatever they're posting. And mm -hmm. then the other the other problem I have and this one is a little bit more um this is just a little bit more something that annoys the hell out of me is that okay. the person people will run and go and get tested and they will mm -hmm. gladly come back and post a, a result that was negative. But had they gotten mm -hmm. that paper and it said it was positive they probably wouldn't approve. They would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what irritates me. So you're either going to be someone who's open about your your um your health status, or you're mm -hmm. going to be someone who's only open about your health status when it's good. And I don't like those type right. of people who only want to highlight their goods. They're they're not able to deal with what their bads are. So if that's not something that you would be willing to put out if it was positive, then keep mm -hmm. it to yourself because you're not impressing anyone by putting that you're negative because you're, you're negative today, and you're on your way to have sex again tonight. Right. And if you're exactly. and the other thing, one more other component I want to add okay. before I set up, let somebody else talk is some people 
um, are making themselves look like what the kids now are calling a thought. If you are posting your HIV status every three weeks, if Ooh. you have tested every three weeks, you're telling uh, us what you're doing. That means right. you have to, you're continuously hoeing out that you got to go and get checked every three weeks. Sit mm-hmm. down, have a seat. Yeah. So what? So what, see, Andre, what do you what do you think about like? Okay, so I get the part, you know, of anyone that's negative posting, it could be insensitive to those that, you know, that aren't, you know, so I get that. So what about, I've seen where people have posted videos, whether it be on YouTube or whether it be on Facebook, and they're open, you know, opening up, hey, you know, I have HIV, um, this is my story, da, 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 and then they get, hate, they get people hating them for doing that too. So, so it's, it's like a double standard, you know? So it's well, like, see, that's why I come. That that it comes back to what I said initially. That's why mm-hmm. I feel that it's, it's just a private, a private matter. matter. Right, right. It's okay. not it's something you discuss in public. Gotcha. The, and the, uh, I, I just I agree wholeheartedly with Neandre said. To me, it's a private matter. It's like I posted this picture that said I got my own job, my own car, my own house, or whatever. And then it was like, congrats on being an adult. Now sit your regular ass down somewhere. That's how I feel about this. Congratulations mm-hmm. on taking care of your responsibility right. that you're supposed yeah. to do anywhere. So go and sit your ass down somewhere. Like, your results, that that kind of stuff, it is supposed to be private. To me, I'm like, who are you trying to prove something to? Do, mm-hmm. do you have something to prove to me? Do you have something to prove to them? Like, you have nothing to prove. Congrats on taking care of your responsibility. Life goes on. Because then, like you said, whether it's positive or negative, no matter mm-hmm. what your intentions are when you post sort of things like that, they're going to come a backlash. They're going to come certain either way that people have mm-hmm. of you now mm-hmm. on either way. So why even go through all that? And then on the other hand, too, I wish people would stop using HIV statuses as a reading mechanism, too. Yes. It's like definitely. the first thing that people want to say – Yes, like they that, are. That and becomes, you, you're you're sick or you have HIV or you AIDS infested, all that type of stuff. That stuff has, to me, that has become the modern day yo mama. It's ineffective. Yeah, I agree that it, it, it should be private, but I still have to say that I like what social media has done for us outside of a lot of the negative things that are affiliated with social media, it gets us talking about these issues that we mm-hmm. typically don't talk about. Someone mm-hmm. because someone has posted their HIV status, we now have an open forum to discuss how we feel about that. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about someone announcing that they have posted their status on Facebook? Maybe they mm-hmm. posted it on Facebook because they can't talk to anyone um in their home, their immediate friends. So they're seeking something. Social media right. is just, it, it, it's opened up so many discussions, so many topics. Now people are freely able to reveal how they truly feel for the good or the bad, where right. they typically conversations was just limited person to person, and we all know how that goes. Oh, yeah, I love you. And then as soon as they walk away, they goddamn bitch. Right. Now say, you are a goddamn bitch from the comforts of our home on lunch break at work or wherever. So for me, though it is a private matter, I'm glad someone is doing it because we get to talk about things that we typically wouldn't talk about. All right, so so there we have it. That was the um that was an excerpt from the Healthy Debate episode, and I'm going to reiterate the question. 
to my panel. Um, they listened to it. I heard you, girl. I heard you guys on mute. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump into it. But I want to pose a question to you all. When it pertains to the HIV/AIDS epidemic in our community, many rest on platforms warning those of our community to know your status, get tested, and practice safe sex. But it seems when people go to the length of posting their their current HIV statuses, be that negative or positive. There are individuals who have a problem with people being vocal about their recently known status. What do you feel? This is to my panel. What do you feel about those individuals that post pictures of their results online? And do you think that this is a private matter not meant to be public knowledge? Now, in the event that you guys want to go ahead and chime in on what the guy said, you can definitely do that as well. However, you want to, you know, convey your responses. It's okay. 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 Well, this is science. Okay. For me, it's a mixed bag of tricks because um, it can go either way. Now, during National Testing Days, I've had people to come in and get tested, and they're like, you know, I'm going to post my status and tell my friends, you know, to come in and get and tested. Mm-hmm. It's a personal matter, yes, but if you're comfortable with sharing your personal information, people share all kind of personal stuff on Facebook. They share all their relationship post pictures, laid up with their boyfriends and all that. You post everything else, share everything else. People are comfortable with that. They want to be able to have a conversation about who's dating who this particular day or who did what in the pageant or whatever mm-hmm. personal stuff people share. So if a person is comfortable with sharing their status, and, and the purpose of them sharing it is to empower someone else or encourage someone else to go out and get tested. I don't have a problem with that. Now, if you're just posting it just to be sarcastic or say something, you know, I've seen people post it. Now, here's my status, and you'll take somebody else in and like, oh, bitch, now what's yours? And all that kind of foolishness. Right. No, that's not, that's, you know, that's out of order. But if the person is comfortable with it, who am I or who is anyone else to tell them, no, you you shouldn't be doing that? You know, what's personal to them is personal to them. If they're comfortable with sharing it, whatever their status may be, then yeah. that's their freedom. Okay. Thank you so much, Syed. Okay. Now, anyone else want to chime in? Yeah, yeah this Andrew. is yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Andrew. Um, I, I think it really boils down to your intent. What's your intent when you're sharing this information, everybody? Is your intent to dispel rumors because everybody thinks you're positive and you're posting mm. your results because of that? Is your mm. intent to actually gain awareness behind it? Uh, yes, so that's the real question you have to ask people when they're posting this information online. Why are you posting it? Because at the end of the day, you have to live in your own truth and not post things based off of what other people think about you. I definitely, I, I love that, you know, like you said, your intent, either to, is it your intent to prove a point or is it your intent to gain awareness? I love that. Um, anyone else? Well, this is Danny. Hey, guys, how you all doing? Fine. Um, hey, I, totally, I totally agree. Um, the one thing that you learn in working in this field about in the HIPAA law is that it is their status to do with what they choose to do with. So if they choose to post it on social media or anything like that, then it's their choice. Intent, definitely. But I feel, and this is just my personal thing, any publicity is good publicity. Anything that will make us have a conversation about HIV, AIDS, whether it be um, bitch, bam, I posted my status, you post yours, what's up, you know what I'm saying? Somebody's going to say, hmm. 
damn, I don't know my status. What's my mm-hmm. status? You know what I'm saying? So I, mm-hmm. I just personally feel like any publicity, any publicity is good publicity. I, I hate when they do it maliciously or they do it vindictively or anything like that. Then definitely, I have R and D people for stuff like that. What that means is report and block R and B them. I R and B them in a minute because I, I don't like hate hateful stuff. And so mm-hmm. I just feel like you know if they want to post their status, they post it. I personally can say that. I have. When I go and get tested, sometimes I'll have them record me getting tested because I'm a person that if I'm going to preach it to you, if I'm going to tell you, then I want people to see that I practice what I preach. I also get tested. If I'm steady telling my nephews and nieces and cousins, y'all need to get tested, y'all need to get checked, yes, that's sexually active, and they looking at me like, you know, you know, my cousins, and my, they all rude and disrespectful. And they're like, yeah, nobody paying attention to you. You've been doing, telling us this for 15 years now. We ain't listening to you no more, you know. And all, ain't nothing happened to us all this time. Then let me show y'all that I've been living this life 40 years, and I still go get tested. Right. I ain't as careless as I used to be, but still, you know, hey, things happen. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and what about you, um, Joe Perry? I mean, I feel like the same as everyone else. As far as the intent, it has to be the intent when it comes to social media and displaying your status. Now, we also have to be comfortable as positive individuals as well to speak out on behalf because a lot of times we are silent. Positive, HIV positive people don't have a voice. They don't feel like society is acceptable enough to accept my status and accept me for who I am, you know. And so we also see that in social media. We see negative statuses. I'm negative. Go get your test. Go get your test. But where are the positives to say, you know what, I'm positive. Go get your test. Make sure that you remain negative. Make sure that you practice and safe sex. It has to be across the board. And right now we're not at a level with, Positives even feel like the community would support us. Right. <laughs> let, let, me ask, let, let me ask. Let me I'm glad you brought that up. Let me let me ask you this. Um, you guys did, and because um, Meandre spoke about, um, I guess more so insensitive. You know, some people being insensitive. Um, I guess maybe to positive, um, to positive people. So, do you think that those um individuals, um, because you know, I've even done it. I've done it actually this year where I said. You know, oh, you know, um, and and actually it was maybe a month or two after I did the show. You know, I did the test or whatever, and I posted it and said, you know, oh, I'm HIV negative as of, you know, whatever, whatever. And then it was like, for me, I knew that my intent was to, to, you know, gain that, you know, get that awareness going because I had already done the show. I had learned so much. But do you think that that comes across to people that are positive? It can be somewhat insensitive to them? Well, I think it, it, again, depends on what message they're tagging along with that result. If they're right. still posting that result along with the tagline of, yeah, all you messy faggots better go and get oh, tested. Yeah. Well, yeah, meanwhile, yeah. we was doing the exact same thing that you were doing, and by the grace of God, you didn't put a short straw. That's my right. fucking issue. If you want to post that shit, be sincere and promote awareness. Don't exactly. be messy about it because, boo-boo, the, the same way I got HIV is the same way you're going to fucking get it by the next time you post your next status. So please have a clear conscience and be aware mm-hmm. of what it is that you're posting when you post it. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much, guys. And, and, and Andrew, while you're still talking, I do have a, <laughs> I have a question for you. Um, <laughs> wh- what good has come out of revealing your status online, and what bad, if any? You know, here's the thing. I've I've told people that becoming HIV has been the best thing that ever happened to me. And people look at me like I'm fucking stupid when I say that shit. But I'm going to put All it right. to you like this. At no point in my life have I ever been so so sure and comfortable with myself. I've never been so confident in what it is I want from other people and how I want to be treated by other people. Um, I've never been this comfortable in my skin at all. At this mm. point, there are no skeletons in my closet. There's nothing about me that no one knows. Yeah. I don't have. I don't feel pressure of being something that I'm not. So I'm really able to live for me and not have people try to live vicariously through me. Like I'm able to be me for the first time in my life, and that was a result of coming out to social media, telling the world that I am HIV positive, which was never my intent. I knew at some point in time I was going to be able to use this as right. some type of ministry to help other people only because I felt like I was coming to grips with it a lot quicker than other people I knew. But I wasn't expecting it to be in the public light so soon. And the only reason why it became public information so soon was because some faggot with Adam for Adam decided they were going to try to out me. I, they basically acted as they wanted to hook up with me Got me, got me to tell them my status, and said, "Bam, I got you." By the way, I see you on social media. I like the way you blast other people. How would you like it if I tagged this whole conversation, tag your friends and family in it, and put it on Facebook for everybody to see? I wow. made the executive decision at that point in time. I can mm-hmm. either let you have this power over me, or mm-hmm. I can tell my status to the world the way I want to tell it, and that's exactly what I did. And, and, and we commend you for that. You know, I commend anyone that that does that and in the event even if you're, you know, uh negative and, you know, it, it turns the other way and you become positive. I you know, I'm just uh an advocate for, you know, and I have been since I started the show, my very first thing, I think the very first my very first show I said, you know, stand in your truth. You know, and for twenty fourteen I wanted people to stand in your stand in their truth no matter what it is. Because when you stand in your truth it it sets you free, no matter what that truth is. And nobody can use your, your, like you say, your skeletons or whatever the case may be, nobody can use that against you because you've already put it out there, whatever, you know, whatever that is. So, you know, I applaud you and many others who, who come out and are, you know, um, letting the world know, you know, who they are, what they have, but, you know, it's not a death sentence. And, and then you begin to, um, I'm sure that, you know, when you came out and started talking about it, people, they may not have commented on your post, you know, but they were coming to your inbox and probably ask you questions, and, and I've noticed that that's happened, um, you know, with my previous guests as well. So, again, we applaud you for that. So um, I want to uh, take a step back now um, because even though, you know, we live in 2014, you know, everyone thinks that everybody knows what it is and, and this, that, and the other, you know, there are some people that live out in, you know, bum fuck Egypt <laughs> that, that just really are green <laughs> to a lot. So I want to go back I want to take a step back just a little, and I want to start from just the very beginning really quickly. And I want to give this over to um, Saez and Danny because, they, you know, of course, they were on the show last time. And I, wanted, I want them to chime in. And if you guys, um, Jaquarius and Andrew, want to tag in, that's fine. But what is the difference um, between HIV and AIDS? I'm going to give that to Saez. I'm going to give the second question to, to Danny. So, so Saez. What is the difference between HIV and AIDS? Okay, so this brings back to something that goes on on a daily basis when people come in and get tested. 
And this is a pet peeve of mine, and I have to be mindful not to be a, <laughs> so aggressive in my response to this because mm-hmm. people come in and say, well, I want an AIDS test. Mm. And no, my love, there's no such thing as AIDS tests. We're testing for uh, HIV antibodies. So in making people understand that AIDS is a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So AIDS is a result of HIV. So a person um, acquires HIV, and somewhere along the line, they become um, T-cell count to 200 and get two opportunistic infections, and that would be something like pneumonia for us. Uh, a number of other things, and only a doctor can diagnose a person with having AIDS. So nobody can say, oh, you have AIDS, or I can say, oh, you know, this person has AIDS or nothing like that. A doctor has to diagnose, so there's no particular thing where a person just, you know, arbitrarily says um, this person has AIDS. No, it has to be diagnosed by a doctor. So there's nothing to catch. I don't don't catch AIDS. Am I able to chime in on that as well? This is Andrew again, by the way. Yeah, Um, Andrew, I, I I want you I want to explain to the listeners how T cells were explained to me by my doctor. He basically explained T cells, which are the cell count that the gentleman that was just speaking is referencing gets at the two hundred count or below. Your T cells are basically think of them as your general cells. Your general cells direct your lymphocytes and your phagocytes, which are other white blood cells, to kill this infection, to kill that bacteria and things of that nature. What the HIV virus does, it gets into those general cells, causes general cells to stop replicating into other general cells and to replicate into other HIV cells. Mm-hmm. What do you do when your boss isn't around? You do nothing. So that's exactly what happens. Once so many of these general cells have been taken over by the HIV virus, there's no one directing your other white blood cells what to kill off and what not to kill off. So they're just sitting there letting shit go haywire in your body and not doing anything. That is the issue with HIV, and that's what the medicines are prescribed to stop the process of. They're supposed to stop the HIV viruses from being able to replicate into other HIV viruses, leaving those general cells intact to direct your white blood cells to kill this infection and to kill that infection. Okay, thank you so much. Um, oh, I, I love the way your doctor put that, I love the way you presented that. I'm sure people who are now kind of, you know, understand a little bit more. Sometimes you have to break it down. You know, you have to break it down one, one, two, three. So thank you, Andrew. Now, Sias, did you want to add on to anything to to that or um, continue? Yeah, please forget. You know, um, just wanted people to be clear that because, and you saying in both like Egypt, but right in New Orleans, or right in Atlanta, Chicago, and right in the midst of our city, a lot of people are uneducated. To just that's one simple fact. Mm-hmm. So you know, and that's the whole point that you know I stress education and information. You know, just, you know, pass information on, you know, to your friends and share, have those conversations, you know. Okay. Thank you so very much. And, um, Danny, are you here with me? I'm here with you. Why you give me the hard <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 I want to ask, ask you this. Um, education about HIV and AIDS is the first step in prevention. What role do you believe that public schools in the United States play in educating children about HIV and AIDS? And what and at what age do you believe that the education should begin? So what role should public schools play in educating children about HIV and AIDS? And at what age should this education begin to start? I think it should play a major role in education. And it should start at the exact same time they teach kids how to use condoms and what sex is it Andrew? <laughs> Andrew. It's Andrew. 
Oh, I was, the question was was given to Danny. <laughs> I was waiting for oh, him to that. I'm always talking. <laughs> you. So, so, and then we'll, we'll let you pick up, Andrew. That's not a problem. Uh, Danny, what, what did you want to respond? What was your response to it? Well, um, you know, I'm from St. Louis, and now mm-hmm. we're by in Atlanta, Georgia. But mm-hmm. the first thing is, well, saying I can speak for St. Louis. <laughs> first, educate our kids. First, get the education part together. A lot of our schools have lost their accreditation and things like that, so that that's an issue for me in itself. But I feel I feel that when the question is asked, we have five and six year old kids performing oral sex on the school buses. Mm. I know you've all read the headlines. So when the I'm a firm believer in if the question is asked, there should always be an answer given. It should never be you're too young, you're too because. For me, being a child that was molested, that didn't have a father in the home, that, well, had a father in the home, but we didn't have those conversations. But Mr. Perverted Man down the street, he had the answers that I was looking for. Because being molested to be touched and to be fondled and to be sexually active at such a young age, I needed to know why every time I saw this boy, my penis got hard. So my daddy, I couldn't ask my daddy that because he was at home talking about the little faggot that live across the street. So I didn't want to come out to him that I was the little faggot in the room next to yours, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I had to, you know, figure out a way to figure this out. So the man, you know, the, the man down the street, the pedophile man said, okay, I can answer those questions for you. So I, I personally feel that when a child asks a question, they should give an answer, whether he be five, six, but you have to give it in a way that they can understand it. You have to give it in a way that they can relate. I personally feel like health and education, when it comes to um, sexual health and things like that, when that subject comes up, they usually get it around the sixth or the seventh grade, middle school yeah. age, um, freshman year, and things like that. I think that conversation needs to happen now in today's time a little earlier. But I think it needs to happen with the parents present. Okay. I now, think that needs to be a class that they invite parents to because a lot of parents don't have the answer. A lot of our parents um, still to this day don't have the answer and have not had the conversation about sexual health with their children. Mm-hmm. And that's so unfortunate. So I feel like maybe around fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, that you know, nine and ten years old, because I know in the city of St. Louis, working in the education system prior to um, this, we had fifth graders coming to the sixth grade pregnant. Mm. So the conversation needs needs to happen early. When okay. you tell me what my penis is, instead of calling it a dick, and you say no, that's a penis. Tell me what is a penis for and what a penis does, right. and tell me so, how sacred it is. So, so let me let me ask you guys this: um, with with sex and education, everyone on this line went through sex and education. Um, you know, growing up, whether it be middle school, most most times this happens in middle school, sixth or seventh grade. But um, do you guys ever remember? If you can, you know, I know for some it's a long time. For me, you know, it's a long time, but I, I want to, um, and I'm not saying that to be funny, but it's really, I mean, 15 years could be a long time. So so my thing is, uh, do you guys ever remember them ever bringing up or talking about HIV and AIDS? I mean, it was something that was in, in the late, came out in the really prevalent in the late 70s and early 80s, so they should have been talking about it at least in the 90s, but 
you know, do you guys ever remember or faintly remember them even speaking about that in, in high school in high school or, or I, I believe if there was any mention of it, it was grouped along with other STDs. There was nothing that was truly emphasized about HIV and AIDS, and I think that's primarily because HIV and AIDS had a stigma associated with it that it was mm-hmm. a gay disease. And since mm-hmm. gay isn't really prevalent in mainstream America, especially at that time, it was nothing that we were going to actually hone in on. Right. And back Okay, go ahead. I remember STDs like gonorrhea, chlamydia, and genital warts and herpes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't ever remember HIV ever being in the curriculum for sex ed right. when I went through. Yeah. And when for I me, came through sex ed, when I came through sex ed, it was considered the gay white man's disease. Exactly. And so I went to a predominantly all-black school, so it was mentioned, but we never went into it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was yeah. like you know, there's the gay white man disease, and then the teacher wasn't educated on it, so they could not explain it. But it was a like a, a half of a chapter in a book. I do remember reading up on the gay white man disease, and I remember turning it off because at that time, you know, I was not attracted to white men. So it was like, oh, well, I'll never get that because I don't even like white men. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I know for me um, – I, I, I think, like Andrew said, you know, I think it was kind of looped in or, you know, with other sexually transmitted diseases. But um, for me, it I kind of I, I was forced to really kind of like question what it was because I believe this is in sixth or the seventh grade. Um, my mother's best friend, Tommy, rest in peace, he died uh, of AIDS. I saw this man go from a, a tall six four hefty, and he was gay, you know, tall. Six four, hefty, you know, man with long hair, beautiful nails, all that, you know, and um, go from that that to to in a matter of weeks, you know, just being, you know, basically bones, you know, and as a child, I'm looking like, what's the, what's going on? And I had heard of of the disease and AIDS, and you know, it was always AIDS. It was never HIV for when I was, you know, it was always AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. So um, that's I, I was forced to kind of, you know kind of live that, you know, go to the funeral. I mean, it was so, I remember this because, I'm going to have listen to this show too, but I remember because when he died and we went to the funeral, they, and I'm from, I'm from the country, so, in Murder Beach, South Carolina, so they had like a net, like two double or three nets over his cast, like when they opened it up and we went by, like we could see him, but we couldn't touch him and all types of stuff, and you know, when I look at, when I think about that, even now in this conversation, I think about how far we've come, you know, just with the mentality, and people not necessarily really knowing that you, this is a, this man is dead. You touching him, or you know, willing of him is not going to, you're not going to be infected by it, you know. But it just, it just made me go. For me, that was my revelation, or that's when I was forced to really. Um, know about it, and then, of course, me moving to Atlanta in 2001, you know, the first thing my mother was out, be careful, be careful, you know, they got to, you know, whatever. I'm just like, yeah, I know they have that. You know, I know what's going on at this point, but it was only because of where we come from and what we started to see with individuals in our community. So um, so that's my thing, you know, so thank you for that. So I want to go to um, Aquarius. Um and I want to ask him because we kind of we got um, Andrew's story, but I, I want to get your story. Um, so, I, so Doctor, you give us your story, or you know, tell us how you found out, how long you've been diagnosed, you know, all that good stuff. Okay. Well, I 
found out, I came to Louisiana in 2005 to go to Southern University. And I think I came out around 2006 and 2008. I always used to get tested all the time, like every six months, every six months. Mm -hmm. And I went in with uh, my best friend, my brother, and I'm like, he was like, I want to go get tested. I want to go get tested. I'm like, okay, well, I'll go with you since you don't want to go by yourself. And I walked in there, and that man told me, you're preliminary positive for HIV. I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. You have to stop everything right now because you can't be telling me. You know, I was like, wait. I had to think about it like in the instant, like you think about everything that you've done with anybody, with everybody. And it's just like, wow, what wait? You know, and so I was out here by myself. I'm from, you know, Chicago, born and raised. So coming to Louisiana, I have no family, no nothing. I sat in the dorm room for weeks, not going to class, not doing anything. Just, you got to be kidding me. Just, it still hadn't really hit me like And, I mean, after that, I had a really bad year after. And... I walked across the mirror one day, and I looked at myself, and I said, you know what? This can't be life. Mm -hmm. This just cannot be life. You cannot be sitting here in this room with yourself, not talking to anybody, not feeling like anything. You've got to do better. And at that time, you know, like 2008, like I didn't see a face for HIV. I didn't see anybody talking about it really being an advocate for it. I mean, you know, you heard of Magic Johnson, but, I mean, as far as in your community, your peers, you know, you right. didn't see anybody. And so at that very moment, I said, you know what, I have to do better. And I cannot allow anyone else in my community to feel this feeling of being alone and having no one to talk to, no one to understand, nothing, you know. And that is a very dark place to enter when, you know, especially when you're protecting yourself all the time and, you know, you're doing the right things. And it's like, it's mind-boggling. It's just, you know, and so I just one day said, hey, got to change. And so from then on, I've been working in HIV and AIDS. I've been advocating. I've been, you know, talking about awareness. I own awareness heads. You know, it's, it's my mission in life, and I feel like it's been ordained by God just to get out there and tell everybody, look, this is what HIV looks like. This is how to protect yourself. Keep yourself protected. You know, know your status, positive, your negative, boast your status. Be proud of who you are because you are the only person that can change your life. And (laughs) HIV has really enhanced my life dynamically. Like, I remember thinking about Everything like, okay, before I was positive, I was questioning what I'm going to be in life. Mm-hmm. What is my purpose here in life? Mm-hmm. And then after, it was just like, you know what, I'm going to die, so what is my purpose? And then I looked in that mirror and I said, you know what, you will not die. HIV is what you have, it doesn't have you. Now let's get going. And I've been going hard ever since. Well, thank you so very much. And, 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 who was who that trying to chime in? <laughs> this is who? This is Danny. Okay. Go ahead, Danny. 
I just wanted to go back to a point where he said that after he was tested, he sat in the dorm room for weeks. Mm-hmm. Today, mm-hmm. there are young men sitting in dorm rooms with that type of information. And that's why I think that social media is important for us to put our messages out there so these young men can see that, guess what, it is someone else who sat in a dorm room for right. weeks after being diagnosed and then was able to comfort himself and build from that. How many people do we know sitting in dorm rooms now, right now, holding on to this information or sitting in their bedroom or sitting, you know, somewhere that might not make it out? That's why these stories are important. That's why this radio show is so important. You know, I just wanted to say that because that little part of the show is like But, but, no, I thank you for that. Go ahead. Who was about to say something? Yeah, I was going to say – a follow-up to what the general was just saying, um, yeah. right after I found out, there was a period of denial. I did not want to deal with it. Out of sight, out of mind, I felt mm-hmm. fine. Um, I was not forced to actually deal with it until, and I'm going to tell you all when I found out. I was in the Air Force. I got out the Air Force. I was going to realist for the Army. I had a random STD panel done to patient first, and the day before, I was supposed to leave for MEPS to go to Fort Lee, Virginia, to have a physical done by the Army, is a patient first called me and told me they wanted me to come in. Bitch, you know, any goddamn time they want you to come in, there's something fucking wrong. Something is amiss. So I knew right there my military career was the fucking railed. And one of my Army friends who I was talking to about joining the Army, he asked me, well, what's going on with the Army? And he was the first person I actually told. Mm. He made it his business to get me into treatment. And mm. it wasn't until I was actually taking my first regiment, which is called Tresvirus, which was some old, outdated bullshit that doctors had never put me on, but it caused me to have hand cramps and feet cramps, and I was nauseous twice a day when I took the pill. Once I started taking that physical pill is when I really had to um, come face-to-face with the issue because no longer could I put this out of sight and out of mind because it was mm-hmm. a physical manifestation of my condition yeah. every time I took that pill twice a day. So mm-hmm. that's when they really forced me to sit down and come to grips with the situation that I was going in. But the first initial period for a lot of people is denial. you got to get past that denial phase yeah. and come face-to-face with reality and start taking care of yourself before it gets mm-hmm. too late. Right. Yeah, I um I remember speaking to someone a while back, and they were saying that basically, you know, you brought the pill situation. They basically said that, you know, sometimes they didn't want to take the pill because it just reminded them that they were. Because sometimes I guess you can go through life, you know, just with anybody, you know, go through life and everything is, you, I guess maybe you forget. You know what I'm saying? Or or it's, you're not you know, necessarily reminded all the time. It's not like you forget is out of sight, out of mind. And so mm-hmm. it's so easy to get caught up in every day where you're not worrying about every detail of your life. So it's like I just put it in the back of my mind. And so until HIV is a topic of discussion around me or until I see something that is presented to me for HIV, it then becomes back to reality. You know, because I I stopped going to the doctor the whole first year. You know, the whole first year I went back and forth with myself, you know. And so it was a period in which I almost committed suicide. I texted all my frat brothers that I had just crossed with, and I just said, you know what, New Year's Eve, I'm alone with my HIV. I'm out of here. Goodbye, you know, and it's just the outpouring of the community and coming in and saying, you know what, we have a soul here 
that needs to realize that their life matters. And so it forced me to really realize that, look, despite how hard it gets, you know, you have to accept it, you have to realize it, and you have to move on. You have to encourage yourself every day that you look in the mirror. Look, this is a new day. Let's get it. So let me ask, let me, let me move, let's, let, I, I want to move on because we have so much more that we can talk about. <laughs> so I want to move on. Um, but I want to ask, um, I'll ask uh, Andrew, I'm going to ask Andrew, and then we're going to move on to my next question. Andrew, um, how do you approach or have the conversation with potential dates or lovers? I feel as if, Transparency is definitely necessary in dealing with this condition. I'm going to tell you exactly why. Let's say I like your physically attracted to you. I like your personality. I'll wait three weeks down the line to tell you, by the way, I'm going to be positive. You turn, turns out you can't handle that, so now you shut me out completely. Meanwhile, I've had three weeks of time to gain emotional attachments to you versus had I told your ass day one and you went about your business, I would be left looking like Buddha food because I would have not had the opportunity to even become emotionally attached to you. So I think it's very necessary to have that conversation immediately before you have the chance to develop any emotional attachments. That's preserving your mm. own emotions. Get Love them. It. Worry about Love yourself. So, so go ahead and have that conversation right dead on. Don't don't even worry about three. Like you said, I mean that 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 just rang true because. Why Why would you wait that long, especially, like, you know, emotions and, and our feelings can come really, really quickly, you know, especially, you know, if you really really in. Person. Hell, baggage catch emotions quick. Okay. <laughs> and what, what am I to lose at that point? Right. If exactly. I tell you straight up, I have nothing to lose. You know, you now know my status, which I should be comfortable with it or at least mm-hmm. accept that I have it. So, obviously, mm-hmm. if I want to put myself in that position to start to communicate with anybody, I have to be comfortable in it. Exactly. That opens a whole other can of worms. You need to be comfortable with your status yourself before you even think about having a conversation with other people. And if you're not comfortable having a conversation with other people, maybe you shouldn't be sleeping with other people until you're comfortable with Exactly. Yeah, you shouldn't be laying in the bed with nobody until you're comfortable with where you are in that, you know, in life at that point. That conversation needs to happen. This is Danny. I'm sorry. It needs to happen. When you ask me, you a top or a bottom. They asked that on the first day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the first thing come out their mouth before they even know your name. Mm-hmm. You a top or a bottom? Right. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, go ahead. Can I ask go you guys this question? I want to ask. Go ahead, Bias. Uh, so, um, flip my mind. Andrew, but for you guys, <laughs> Andrew, yes, Andrew. Yes. So, for those guys, for those people out there, maybe someone listening, who's HIV positive. Who wants to have that conversation? Because we could just say, oh, yeah, just had a conversation now. But, I mean, I do it at work. But, I mean, coming from your perspective, how do you initiate that conversation? What does that conversation look like? That's that conversation looks like yeah. this. Before you even want to tell anyone about the conversation, you first of all need to have two tools at your disposal. One is knowledge. 
You need to be knowledgeable of the condition, how it affects the body, what the medication does, so you can easily answer any follow-up questions that they have. The second thing you need at your disposal is confidence. If you're not confident in your damn self, if you sound like you're unsure about your own condition, don't nobody fucking want you. You're not even confident in yourself. Why do I want to sleep with you? You don't sound like you're doing okay. You don't sound like you're comfortable. I don't want you either. You need to be confident. You need to be knowledgeable in a conversation like this. By the way, before we get into anything, I need to let you know. I am HIV positive. Do you know what that is? Are you aware of it? And they'll say yes or no. They'll say, oh, well, sorry, dude, I can't do that. And at that point, you can just break ways amicably. It doesn't have to be any dramatic thing. It could be slipped in there easily right into your conversation. And the worst thing they could do is say no and you go about your business. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, a lot of the meeting spaces right now are online. So you're either on Jack Grind or whatever. You know, and you're talking about, hey, what you doing? You know, what you want to do tonight? Well, by the way, I'm positive. Before you even come over, before you even think about anything, I'm positive. Hello, my name is. And, and here's the thing. And, yeah. and like I understand that everyone is be as comfortable with their status in the capacity that I am far as being publicly about it. So if you want to take it one step further and wait to have that conversation once you've actually exchanged numbers, but there's no paper trail, then go ahead and do that. Exchange numbers, have that conversation with them verbally over the telephone. That way there's no paper trail of what you told them, so you have to worry about them telling the next person because at that point it's he say, she say. Exactly. And that's another one of the things that I did want to address, you know, is to be mindful of who you're telling as well. I think people, you know, mm-hmm. when we think it's just like, oh, we're just having a conversation with someone and I'm telling you, oh, yeah, I'm just exposing my status to someone because uh-huh. we're talking about um, getting to know each other, whatever else like that. But I think even in that process, you'd be mindful to be able to identify keywords when a person is saying, when you're talking to a person in general, you can, you know, kind of initiate conversation and kind of get an idea of who they are and how knowledgeable they are or just where they are mentally before you're sharing certain information with them. Right. But when you think about it you you kind of want a paper trail, to be honest, me personally, because I feel safer if I tell you online or anything that I can screenshot and, and be as proof of evidence that says, I said that I was positive before we hooked up. You see, verbally, we we kind of lose their security yeah. blanket. If they was to somebody say, you know what, you didn't ever tell me that I'm positive, now I'm positive, and they try to come back at you, that's a lawsuit going to court. What do you have yeah. besides, yeah, we verbally said it, and they saying, no, we didn't, and all the witnesses, no, there's nobody, you know. I want to go and say, issue. I have a print out saying, okay. I, said this, I said this so you knew. So now I, I want to stop there. I want to ask you guys something uh-huh. else. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I want to stop there, and I, I want to ask you guys this. Now, um, what about for those that have the fear, and this possibly could go to, you know, Saez and, and, and Danny, but, like, for those who have the fear of going to a doctor or a clinic, and getting tested, you know, but they have a feeling, you know, that something just isn't right. What are some, like, telltale signs or symptoms um, that may, you know, allude to the fact that you may be HIV um, positive? Well, honestly, there are no telltale signs. Okay. Today there are so many things going on, and you have to remember, HIV is a virus that causes AIDS. So it's a common virus. 
So it comes into the body just like a common cold, just like the flu. It comes into the body just like that. Well, not just like it because you have to be doing something in order to um, become HIV positive, but it, 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 it sends out symptoms just like a common cold, and that's how so many of us have missed it or so many people didn't know because just because I have a, a, a sniffles or a cold, oh, girl, I just got a summer cold or whatever like that, and I get past it, I get over it, I medicate it, and I go on past it. I never think about getting tested. So there are no real telltale signs. My thing is, and I tell all everybody when I'm doing outreach and I'm out in the field, you never know until you get tested. Uh-huh. You never know. People people have lived many years with HIV and never, you know, never knew because it was like, whoa, because they never got tested. Telltale sign is to get tested. And what I say, my telltale sign is that have you done anything that puts you at risk? Okay, then go get tested. Right. Bottom line, if you've done something that will put you at risk for acquiring HIV, then you need to go get tested. That's the bottom line. You don't need to wait for no symptoms, nothing like that. If you know mm-hmm. two weeks ago you had unprotected sex, go ahead and go ahead and walk on in. Wasn't your partner? That wasn't your um, mutually monogamous partner. Mm-hmm. You know, there was some random, you know, you met him on Jack, you met him on whatever, y'all mm-hmm. hooked up, and things got a little out of hand, you flipped up that one particular time, okay, go get tested. You come back next week, no, no, really. you, you got to wait again, you got to wait an additional um, three months, depending on what test you take, and get tested again. You know. And I know we're talking about the LGB, um, the LGBT community, but a lot of us sleep outside of that community. A lot of us you know, kicking with trade, oh, random yeah. trade. Oh, we go to straight clubs and stuff like that. And if by chance there are some of those people listening and paying attention tonight, though we are, you know, focusing on the LGBT community, we want them to know as well, get tested. Just because you doesn't, you don't say to yourself that I'm gay or you don't say, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get down like that or whatever, and you're down low or whatever you you may be. You need to get tested as well. It's not who you are; it's what you do that puts you at risk for HIV. People discriminate, not HIV. Remember that people discriminate, not HIV. Not HIV. Most definitely. Thank you. Now, I, I want to provide because I'm because after this question, we're going to go to a quick break because you know we got to pay some bills, quote unquote. You know, get you know and have our grand um, grand gorgeous and gag segment, but um, which is really quickly, but. I, I want to provide you guys with a scenario, and then we'll take, you know, we'll do that, and then we'll come back and, and, and engage more into the conversation. But I want to provide you guys with this scenario, okay? And while it talks about heterosexual relationships who aren't exempt from the virus, you know, as, as Danny has said, I'm sure that there have been some instances here and there. So, so here's a scenario. A doctor in Tucson, Arizona, had a young couple as patients who were experiencing marital problems. The wife left for... Excuse me, the wife left for another man and the couple divorced. The new man was HIV positive, and the woman also became infected as well. After his death, she returned to Tucson, Arizona, and her doctor began testing her for the HIV infection. Her ex-husband came to that same doctor for a physical and mentioned that he had begun dating his ex-wife again. The doctor was unable excuse me, the doctor was unable to warn the man that his ex wife was now HIV positive. 
since they were not married and any communication about the woman would have violated the right to privacy laws. So what do you think the doctor should have done in that particular situation? Anybody? Yeah, come in now. Yeah. Oh, what, what, you, what do you I thought you were saying we're due to the laws that he vowed to adhere. He can't disclose that woman's yeah. information, no matter how bad he wanted to tell. I think um, the issue is this: people always like to blame other people mm-hmm. who gave them the virus, and I think that there is a level of ownership and accountability that you have to have for yourself before you can place the blame on somebody else. Um, and I say there's only a few circumstances where you can't necessarily have that. That that rule. Um, one is a long term, long term monogamous relationship. I'm not talking about no three week, two month gay relationship. I mean long term, such as a marriage. You've been with this person for years. You have so much trust in this person. They violate that trust, and you become infected. Okay, that's one instance. Great. That's another instance. You're born with it. That's another instance. A blood transfusion. That's another instance. But outside of those instances, there is a level of accountability that you have to have for yourself, ownership you need to take for yourself, and not place blame on that other person. No one mm-hmm. would have had a gun to your head when they told you that that dude busted nut in that ass. Right. Yeah, I, 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 go ahead, Sire. Oh, I was just going to say as it relates to the doctor. Um, uh-huh. He only has a duty to warn if there's an intent. If that his female patient uh-huh. told him that I'm going to go and sleep with my ex-husband and pass this virus on to him, mm-hmm. she that was an intent to harm. So he has, a, 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 by law, that's when he has, um, you know, is a duty to warn. Right. Yeah, I saw this on a... Um, now, he can I, I, also... I'm sorry. He can also anonymously contact the disease intervention specialist from the state. Yeah. Because as mm-hmm. a medical professional, he has the legal right to do that. And then they will contact that person anonymously, you know, can't even yeah. talk. But, you know, to get tested or, you know, something may have happened, you're at risk for something. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. If you listen to the scenario, it said that he just, they just said that he, he mentioned that he started to date his ex-wife again. So they yeah. haven't said yeah. that they had became sexually active as of yet. So I think the doctor's responsibility was to continue to have the conversation with her about protecting herself and protecting her partner. Right. And, and the conversation he needs to have with him is protecting himself and protecting his partner by letting him know, oh, well, you're about to engage, go back into a serious relationship or into another relationship. You might want to get yourself, you know, STD, STI checked out before you, you know, decide to engage because you have been separated, y'all have been apart for a long time or whatever like that. Just doctor conversation. Right. right. And it's I and patient, I, they'll be insulted. What the hell are you trying to say? I didn't go and get tested. That was my right. thing. They'll be insulted. But as your personal doctor, we should already be having these conversations anyway. Right. right. This should and not be nothing new out of the that. blue. He should be teaching him as a single man. My doctor today tells me, um, Danny, okay, you do it in the butt, you need to get your butt tested. You do it in the throat, you need to get your throat tested. Every hole you put a penis in, you need to get checked. My doctor, she has this conversation with me, and that's her duty as a doctor to say, my, your sexual health 
is your responsibility. But as a doctor, I know that HIV, STD, gonorrhea, chlamydia can affect other areas. So if you're having oral sex and not protect, you know, using a condom, you can get gonorrhea and chlamydia in the throat. So your doctor should be having these sexual health conversations with you. Period. I also wonder if doctors are having this exact same conversation with our heterosexual counterparts as you do with gay men because we all know gay men are so much more sexually active than our heterosexual counterparts. At least statistically speaking, I often wonder if they're having the exact same conversation with them as they do with us because I know I get it all the damn time. What about y'all? Do y'all ever have that same wonder? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, well, let me say this. I, I don't think that we're actually having more sex because um, heterosexual men are clearly out there. You know, they're, I mean, I guess you depend on uh, what they hold too. Um, they hold. They, they, yeah, they're out there fucking just as much. But in response to the conversation, yeah, in response to going to the conversation, um, I think it's happening more now as we, as the face of HIV has spread. And as it's broadened and people are really realizing and we're having a conversation more, I think that actual conversation between doctors are happening more because a lot of um, I've worked with a program, well, I'm sorry, one of my community, I'm a community partner of, we're working, that's one of the goals that we have set, that we're going out to teach doctors how to have those conversations and who they should be having those conversations with about having the conversations with um, their patients who are sexually active. So, okay, hold on. You have to realize that it's more gay men going to the doctor now. Mm-hmm. Heterosexual men, I know in the doctor office, I work for Washington University in St. Louis. A lot of heterosexual men don't come to the doctor unless it's falling off, it's broken, or it's leaking. All well, 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 now we go, we go to the doctor. We go to the doctor now because yeah. because of the the stuff that's going on in our community. We're at the but, doctor more often. I, but Danny, I'm going to say this, and we're going to move to our uh, our quick break. Um, what okay. you say with the, the straight men, you know, that they're not going into their stuff falling off, baby. Let me tell you something. I'm not even going to put it on them because it's all of us, especially with the black community. I'm so sorry. You know, yeah. it's it, 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 it's 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 us. You know, it's because when we grew up. Our parents or our grandparents—they—they—they they, they will be right at home, you know, and they'll—they'll they'll get a little remedy here and there, you know what I'm saying? And they would not actually go to the doctor unless, like you said, someone's falling yeah. off. It's evident, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That—that—that that, that, that I needed to go get checked out before I die, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not gonna say it's just the, I'm, it's all of us, you know. I think for the but for no, the I, I didn't say it was just them. I said. It's more of us, it's more gay men going to the, statistically in the city of St. Louis, there are more gay men going seeking medical attention and medical care on a regular than there are heterosexual men. But, but I wonder nationwide statistically how that is in regards to comparison yeah. to St. Louis and nationwide. Well, I think, it is, I think it is the, is the same nationwide, um, mm-hmm. but I think your point that you were hitting as it relates to the African-American community in general right. Our community uh, mm-hmm. go to the doctor less. We frequent right. the doctor's office less. We are only going if something is hurting. We're in some type of pain. We're not just right. going regularly for checkups and physicals like that. We're going because something is wrong. 
Right. So let me let's go ahead and take a, a quick break. We have our grand, gorgeous, and gag segment, which is really quick. It's probably about thirty seconds or so. We have a quick PSA, and then we're gonna come right back to the um, to the discussion. And I have some more questions for you guys. So just hold for me, please. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Grand, Gorgeous, and Gag. My name is Joelle Canales, and I am the national makeup artist for Laura Mercier Cosmetics. Fall season is here, and it's time to drop that neutral lip and pick up a deep, sultry lip color. Think cherries and deep wines, and for a flawless finish, pair it with your favorite lip liner. Let your lips do the talking in matte or glossy finishes. Be daring this fall, but most of all, have fun. For more beauty tips, catch us on the next segment of Grand, Gorgeous, and Gag. Beautiful thing, the way the two of them sang about knowing. It's like freedom rang, strong the bond became, and they both felt good about knowing. Somehow the love felt more pure, like it was sure to endure, and now they were secure about knowing. It's like a gift from the sky, free they both can fly, and look each other in the eye, now knowing. Knowing is beautiful. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Talk with Micah. And this is your girl, T.S. Madison. Yes, God, honey. Miss Nui, 22 inches herself. Remember, ladies, if you ain't rocking 22 inches or better, bitch, you're practically bald. Thank you so very much um, for holding. That was our Grand Gorgeous and Gag segment with Joe Canales and our annoying PSA that was common, you know, just basically you know, stressing the fact that it, it, it's a beautiful thing to know and, and, and knowing me, knowing your status. And thank you so very much to my girl, Ms. T.S. Madison. So I want to go back, um, or I want to go higher in the program, as my grandmother would say, um, to a few things. And the next few questions, you know, they're very thought-provoking questions, but I trust that you guys will provide detailed answers and responses to the questions asked. So um, whoever would like to respond, you know, jump in. Um, so, so anyone can have at this. Uh, drug treatments, excuse me, drug treatments now allow many HIV-positive individuals to live longer and maintain a higher quality of life. Current anti-HIV drugs must be taken multiple times daily on a careful schedule and often cause severe side effects in people who otherwise may feel completely healthy. If patients don't adhere to their drug regimen, they increase the rate at which drug-resistant strains of HIV develop. So the question should patients be monitored for adherence to drug regimens and or whether they are developing drug-resistant virus, a drug-resistant virus? Absolutely. I mean, for, my, for instance, important. you may have a person who has blacklisted the whole damn genome shore list, which is the, basically the test that they use to see what your strand is resistant to as far as the drugs you can take, and mm-hmm. they don't even know it. So, yes, I think that is that is something that should be monitored, which is why people who do adhere to their um, – regimen get tested every three months to see if their strand is resistant to what they're on and need to go to something else altogether. Okay. Anyone else want I mean, to that's what Yes. That's what controls how much of the virus is in your body and how much you are exposing if you put yourself at a, in a riskful situation. So your medication should always be monitored. And for the genotype, as you know, was stated before, very critical. And we're actually here um, in New Orleans and um, in a few other cities there is a program that's actually going on, and one of the agencies that I do my referrals to um, for um, medical care 
what they do is when um, the clients get tested every three months, they're incentivized for adherence. So if they're adhering to their medicine because their their lab work would tell a, a course if they're adhering to their medicine and they're incentivized where they get um, a $25 Walmart card or a Visa card or something like that. And mm-hmm. right? I need to move in, what? They're giving out money yes. for being adhering? Yes. Yes, and so whenever they come, whenever they um, their tests come back, and they're when they become um, non-detectable, they get seventy five dollars. And each time, every six months, when they go and and long as they stay um, undetectable, they get that. When they get their lab work, they get that um, incentive. So, and it's it's just some motivation, and and it's a way to keep people mindful as well. You know, some people need it, of course. It teaches more so than anything because, like you, like we stated earlier, that we are not prone to go to the doctor to check out. And especially mm-hmm. right. if you are HIV positive, it's that stigma that I have to think about it every time I go to the doctor. And so to avoid that, it's just, it gives me a motive to make sure, that extra push to get back into the doctor to make sure I'm at my annual checkup, to make sure I'm doing what I need to do. And so eventually I'm going to be trained to do it. So even when the money yeah. runs dry, I'm so used to doing it. Now, right. so, so, and, and thank you so much, Corey. Zayas, I, Zayas, I want to ask you this question um, because we talked about it in March when we had the, the, the part one, and you brought it up, so I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you the question in regards to the entire undetectable ordeal. You know, when people say I'm HIV positive but I'm undetectable, you know, what does that truly mean? Let, let our listeners know what that, what that means. Um, what it means is that the amount of virus in your system is not detected by just the basic um, HIV test. So there's a, a, a sensitivity test that is needed to detect the amount of virus that is in your system. You're still HIV positive. There's still a certain amount of virus in your system. It's just a low amount, so it's not easily detected. That's all. So, so those that are undetectable. So those that so those that are undetectable are they still on medication, or do they have to? You know, like how how is yeah. that? I mean, they are okay. still on medication. You, that's what brought them to the point of being undetectable. The medication is adherent adherence to their regimen, mm-hmm. taking their medications, and living a healthy life as well. It's not just taking your medications, but you have to be mindful of the lifestyle that you live and how you how you treat your body. Right. All that all works together. And it also lowers the high risk if I put anybody in a riskful situation, say a condom bus, I'm at a lower transmission of the HIV. So it lowers that risk of passing it on. Yeah. It was actually a study so, found where it took a pool of people who were um, HIV positive, undetectable, along with their HIV negative partners, and they encouraged the two to actually have unprotected sex. At the end of the study, it showed that no matter how much they tried, the HIV positive, undetectable people could not infect their negative partners. But, but, but yes, we don't. Not, and, and that was negative. But we, what we right. don't want to do, do, we just, we don't do is, is get that message to the people. Right. Yeah, yeah that's just a because they're gonna trust me. You know how you know how they are. They are run, they are run with it, baby. You know, they and so that's why yeah, you can't put much trust in that. That's for that. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. I don't want people to get so scared. Especially if your immune system is compromised, you could be negative. 
But if your your system is compromised and you thinking because this person is undetectable, you know, oh, I can go free balling. No, 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 yeah. no. Yeah. Because in the <laughs> right situation, the right thing could happen. Yeah. It's just like you say, if your system is compromised, even though you're negative, let's say you had an STD. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, even though they have a low amount of virus, you're more susceptible now yeah. than a small amount of virus to acquiring HIV. So, you know, with some circumstances. So you, can, you don't even want to take that chance. So you don't even put that that message out there, even though that's what, the national initiative is moving to lowering the amount of virus in the community because right. they're going to um, positives as prevention. So they're addressing positive people as more opposed to um, addressing yeah. people that are negative. They're addressing the people that are positive and trying to get them on medication, getting them in care, and lowering the amount of virus that they have in their body so that the chances are like, less likely that they would pass it on to their partner. Let me. Um, I have an, an, another question, and, and um, I didn't. You know, I was doing my research. I always like researching, so I was doing some research and stuff, and I came across this question, and I said, "Hmm, it's going to be interesting to see what their um, what your response is." So I, I, I took this, and so here it is. The question says, um, "And how many questions is it? One, two, three. It's three questions. So I'm so I'm going to have one person answer each question. Okay. So, but whoever wants it, whoever gets to it first, you know." Uh, should HIV-infected individuals have the right to the same type of medical insurance as others who do not have HIV? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that was a yes. That was a yes. Okay. Yes. So, because so next, next, no, I don't need it because. Oh. I'm, I'm going to ask the yes. next question. Should society be made to help pay their costs? Wait, give should society, on that. More. Should society right. be made to help pay their costs? So and I and here's a, here's a second question, so it'll it'll probably kinda wrap all into one. It basically says like what if some HIV patients continue high risk behavior that exposes them to more infectious agents, increasing the cost of their treatment? So let's say for instance, what they're trying to say is if someone is HIV positive, and they do not have the medical, you know, let's say they don't have the medical insurance, should the taxpayers, which is society, be made to help pay the cost so that they'll have insurance? Well, we can't we can't sit down and dissect it and break down and say, well, this person here is out here having risk behavior, but this person here, mm-hmm. she was right. great, and she mm-hmm. has HIV, so we can't sit down and dissect and say, okay, well, we're going to treat you and we can't treat you. So we should make it available to everybody. Right. My, my response to that is you might have a patient that, that, that has syphilis and tests positive for gonorrhea and chlamydia. You still going to get them the free shot. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. They come in, if they come yeah. in 10 times a year, re diagnosed with gonorrhea and chlamydia, you're going to give them a shot. You're going to give them their drink, and you're going to send them out the door. So my thing is, if you, if I know HIV medications are more expensive, but if you're going to do it for one, do it for all. That's exactly. right, and that's the same thing. You say um, you're a smoker. You smoke, and you know that smoking can cause lung cancer. So now right. you, have, you get lung cancer, you have no insurance. No, um, You didn't have a job, or you don't have insurance to pay for it. Now i got to help cover that cost. So mm-hmm. I can't say, well, you were smoking 30 years, and you knew 
There was a chance that you could get lung cancer. We we just got to help pay the cost at, at, at the end of the day. No, I, I, I totally get it. Yeah. I'm totally, you know, I, I wanted to see your response because I thought it was really interesting. You know, because I'm like, really? But I was like, I'm going to ask the you know ask the question and see yeah. what the response would be. Um, and I want to say to anyone that is listening, um, if you have a question for the panel, you can freely go ahead and, you know, press 1, and um, I'll bring you in, chime you in, and let you ask the question to the panel. So if you do have a question out there in audience land, listeners, Press one, and I'll and I'll bring you in. So I'm going to ask this to Saez. Saez, what is a false negative test result? And, I, and and with that, I want you to name one factor that will result in a false negative for HIV. Uh, okay, now you're going to make me make pull out. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you really going to make me work like this? Um. What is a what is a false? You know, they go to the doctor. I mean, and this is and I, I, you know what it is, but I'm, I'm saying this for the listeners. You go to the to the you go get your testing, you know, or whatever, and then you find out, you know, um, I'm negative, you know, uh, yeah, they do but, whatever, but really you're not. But so you know, it's that because you don't. We, when we're talking about it, you want there's a a window period between the time that you were exposed. To the time that enough antibodies build up, where it where it could be detected by a test, mm-hmm. so that could be up to three months. So and, again, and, and, and so that so that's one of the factors. It could be it could yeah. be very well. You when you test it, you you were you know negative, but then you know two weeks later, week I mean a month later, whatever. Now you have it because of the interaction that you had months months ago. So right. so that so that is one factor. Thank you, Sayed. Now I'm going to go to Danny. Danny, what is a false positive test result? And name one factor that again, I'm sorry, my phone my phone broke up. Okay, okay, let, let me repeat it. What is a false positive test result? And name one factor that could result in a false positive for HIV. A false positive um, test result can result from anything sim- from simple simple as using mouthwash thirty minutes before taking the test. Mm. Okay. What mouthwash will, it will signal that there is another agent inside of the mouth, which will sometimes register on a HIV test as something positive. That's why before we test you and we do the all swab, um, mm-hmm. we always ask these questions. Have you been chewing gum? Have you had anything to eat or drink 30 minutes prior to coming in. Have you used mouthwash or any um, Listerine or anything within the last 30 minutes? And a lot of individuals will say, yeah, you know, I brushed my teeth right before I came. It's like, okay, come back in two hours and I can test you then. Okay, so you so prior to going to testing. Right, so so prior to going to testing, I can't, so prior to going to testing, I can't eat or drink anything 30 minutes prior to walking into the hospital. I go to the club when y'all test everybody. Right. You should not. You should not be engaging. If you know that you're going to be tested at 9 o'clock, well, I'll say 4 o'clock in the afternoon, by 2 o'clock you should stop eating, drinking, and all of that, you know, so that there is nothing inside, any other agents inside of the mouth that might cause the the reader to read something other than what's there. That's why okay. we tell we'll we'll tell our clients make sure you know okay you here at nine you can come back at eleven o'clock but make sure you don't eat drink or chew any gum because a lot of people spearmint and things like that and we don't honestly we don't know why it does that but 
we have had some to test positive when we have, you know, did the oil swab, the oil quick method in the mouth or whatever like that. But then when we do the preliminary, you know, the um, confirmatory, it comes back negative. Right. So it's but like man, now we got to figure out why is this happening. But it's like okay. there's a lot of unreliable information and a waste of emotional trauma when you could have just done a blood test the whole damn time. Is there no? A, a lot of individuals, a lot of individuals will not opt for the blood test. So you have to have the two different methods. There and are some individuals that will not let you stick them. A lot of individuals will not let you stick some them. Don't like so that's why they tell you when you do have a positive. You have to do a confirmatory, which means that you have to go to a second test, not the same test that you gave the first time. So, therefore, you have to convince them. You tell them in the beginning, if, if by chance this test does come back positive, then I will have to take a finger stick or a blood draw. Do you agree? And, you know, they're most likely right. like, yeah, if it come back positive, then, yeah, I agree. Or you can do the, um, the, the oil swab again and send it off to the lab. Right. But you have to get two Add a note in there too. When you talk about uh, a finger stick and a blood test, there's a chance that that can give a false positive too. Exactly. So there's a small chance that it can give. There's a, a situations where that could give a false positive if the test was um, was in a was out of the temperature range, left out of mm-hmm. the temperature range, in a high temperature or low temperature for a long period of time. It mm-hmm. can affect the test. You know, a number of things the test could if your control if your controls yeah. wasn't ran correctly. You know, yeah, okay. your, anything could happen. So, so let me let me ask you this because um, uh, Andrew said it. Um, <laughs> he said it. He said it. But he, y'all kept talking, but he did say something, and I and, and it brings me to this. You know, while I understand, you know, that when people work within the HIV AIDS prevention field, there are certain objectives that are set, you know, in order to get people to get tested. So, you know, if they don't reach out to the agency. You guys go out in the field, quote unquote, and reach out, and you get in, you get individuals to get tested. But honestly, how effective is that in 2014? So, an example, like going to the club, setting up the booth at the Pride event, that sort of thing. Like, how effective is that to really get someone to to take a test? Because I'm gonna tell you this, and you can ask, and you guys can answer it. And I told many of my friends this. I'm a very I don't. Somebody tell me I have. HIV or cancer or or diabetes, anything, it's going to trip me for a second. And I'd rather test in the quiet of my own home, you know, with the the tests that they have, the Orquic and all that, or go to to my physician and and, and do the test there with him versus I'm pulling up at a Pride or a club, hey, test results and give me $25, because they did it at DC Pride. We'll give you $25 gift card, you know, if, if you do the testing. Who wants to sit there and look okay. and test it? You know okay. what I'm saying? And, and it comes out. Yeah, I, let me let you, me. Well, 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 yeah. If you give these packages yeah. shit, they will test. Let well, no, I, 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 okay. I understand. First, go ahead, Sayas. I'm just not. Okay. <laughs> if I come out to an event mm-hmm. and offer testing, and if you're mm-hmm. a person that you know for a fact that you're not going to be comfortable with receiving your results, one, I'm not going to badger you into getting tested, and two, you shouldn't even be peer pressured, feel the need to be peer pressured into getting tested. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a good counselor, I'm going to identify if you're ready to receive those results before I give you that test. Good. In the counseling portion of the test, I should be identifying if you're mentally or emotionally in a place mm-hmm. that you can receive. So that's the question that they ask. 
if you right. receive a positive email, are you ready for these results? There's a chance that you can have a positive, a positive result. Do you have the, the relationships in place to help you through that process? You know, yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I can tell by a person is talking as well. I mean, if I could tell by the way a person is talking, just in having a conversation with them, we talking, especially if I'm at the club or something like that. And if I know they're drunk and you know they're full and they just, well, you know what? Hey, don't even worry about it. You know, come back next time. Or catch you next time. Come to the office. You know, hey, come to the office. I got you. You know, just come to the office and get tested. Something like that. So okay. I know that you're not mentally in a place that mm-hmm. you, you know, because we don't set the bar. You tear up all my shit, knock over all my stuff, you know, because you got upset about this shit. Right. Right. But I'm glad no, you said that. Thing is, that makes me know that, you know, and, and I, I'm a firm believer, I don't care what, what your job is, what your career choice is, not everybody is proficient and efficient and efficient in what they do. So right. for, you, for you to say that, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of get the signs from you at that point. I'm going to ask you certain questions, this and the other, to know. But I have been, it was in Atlanta, it wasn't here, but I've been in this, you know, going and walking to the club. Hey, you want to take a chance? I'm like, no, I don't. Not not in the club. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 and that's just that's just me. Now, had Sias yeah. walked up to me, had Sias walked up to me and asked me, and, and I can tell that he was confident and he knew what it was and he was comfort, comforting, you know, in the whole subject matter and knew how serious it was at that point. You know, I may say, okay, I'll do it or whatever the case may be, you know, but th- there are different approaches. And I've seen some approaches not work. So I just want to know I want to know how effective in twenty fourteen was going out to the clubs, going out to the events, going out to conferences, seminars and all that kind of stuff and, and doing these um doing these tests where people actually and that's, doing and that's them. Still or effective because you know, some people work every day. And mm-hmm. by the time some testing agencies closed or they couldn't get into the doctor or you know, whatever the case may be. All of the barriers are erased when you present testing in an uh, event as such. You know, just to provide that opportunity for somebody to say, you know what, I've been wanting to get a test and I just can't, 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 or I can't get around to it, it's right there. So for those that are mentally prepared for it, it gives them the opportunity of testing has just come to me. So now I can know my status without even altering my day-to-day life to go and get and that And one thing that I've implemented, I implemented in St. Louis, and it helped us a lot, was we only do, when we're out in the field, we do what is called next-day results. We don't do 20 minutes. Even though your test results is going to, I'm going to know your test results in 20 minutes. Right. I will not give you your test. I will only give them to you when I know that if I'm out on a Saturday night, Everybody that comes to me, whether negative or positive, you ha- I give you a card, and in order for you to get, you get your half of your incentive. You get, might get your little ten dollars tonight, but to get your fifteen dollars, you have to come and get your results on Monday, or you have to call because in the state of Missouri, if you um, check it out, we can give results over the phone. My agency don't allow it personally, but it is a law that we can. So. Once they come in on Monday or they call in on Monday and they schedule an appointment to come in, then I'm able to link to care. I'm a firm believer in this. I'm not going to give you a test result, an HIV test result, and I can't link you to care because right. that's how we right. lose so many individuals who test positive. It's simply because we tell them in the club, oh, you're HIV positive, and guess what? They go uh, shots on me. They patron shotting all night. They forgot about it. Monday come around, it dawns on them again. Now, you know, 
I ain't going back. I ain't going to get tested or whatever like that. So my thing is, I'll test you today. I'll give you your $10 incentive for getting tested, but to get your other, because it's always $25, to get your other $15, you have to come and get your results on Monday. And that's just a method that we came up with because we were losing so many. We were losing so many that wouldn't come and get their results and things like that. So, okay. okay. And I believe in the hand. Now, now what, I, I, what I want to Well, I just say one thing I wanted to say to Dan. Okay, and then, and then once, you, once you say that, then I'm going to go to someone that has a question from the audience. So go ahead. Okay. Uh, Danny. Hey, y'all get $25. <laughs> it's that miscellaneous <laughs> item line on the grant. It's that miscellaneous. See, you have a system yeah. item line. Then you have that miscellaneous item line. And uh, you just mix yeah, it together. You just mix it together. Okay. <laughs> well, let me go ahead and go to the line real quickly. I have someone um, from area code 910. I hope you're listening, baby. 910, last four. Uh, the number is 6570. I'm going to repeat it one more time. 910 is the area code. Last word, the phone number is 6570. You are now on the line with the HIV panel on the Talk with Mike and Friends. I want you to please state your name, where you're calling from, and your question or your comment, please. Uh, hi, everyone. This is Rio calling from North Carolina. And uh, my question hi, is... Hi, Rio. Oh, hi. What was your... Um, and this is for anyone on the panel... What was your initial feeling um, your very first time that you disclosed your status to someone that you was interested in dating? So what was your initial feeling when you initially first, when you told somebody for the first time that you were HIV positive, what was your initial feeling? So Jaquarius and, or, um, or uh, Andrew, you know, you can answer that. Um, it, I was terrified of rejection. No one likes to be rejected, and I would hate to be rejected for something that at this point I have no control over. There's a certain level of control that you have over being fat. Sorry, it sounds bad, but, okay, if you're a fat bitch, you're a fat bitch, and there's a certain level of control you have over that. But for me to now be in this position and to have absolutely no control over it at all, I was scared for being rejected because of that. So my initial feeling was fear. Okay. And how? Well, go ahead, Jaquarius, and then if you don't answer, then I'll, I'm going to tag back to that. So go ahead. Mine was completely different um, because I didn't have a fear of telling it because I knew it had to be told. It At that point, it was three months into talking to someone, and we really hadn't taken it to that level. So before that level was taken, I, you know, just said, okay, this is what it is, and it was total rejection. So it was like mm-hmm. I wasn't scared, but I got rejected. So every time after that, it was like antennas go up like, oh, my gosh, now I'm kind of nervous of just saying. I know it has to be said, but I'm nervous because I don't, you know, and that's what made me just say it in the first place. Initially, just tie my name is and I'm HIV positive. So take it or leave it because I don't want to feel the other feeling. Okay. Thank you so much. Rio, did they ask, did they answer your question pretty much? I did. Well, thank you so very much, Rio. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. No problem. All right. So um, I'm going to go to another caller, and then we're going to go back um, back into um, a discussion. We have about 20 minutes left. Um, but I want to go to area code 601. Last four, the phone number is 3006. Again, 601, the last four, the phone number is 3006. You are now on the line with the HIV panel on the talk with Mike and friends. Please state your name, where you're calling from, and your question or your comment, please. Hello, 601, are you here? 
Okay, you're not, but that's okay. I, I, someone else has a question. 850, last four of the phone number is 9671. 850-9671. You are not on the line with the talk with Mike and friends in the HIV panel. Please state your name, where you're calling from, and your question or your comment, please. Hey, y'all. This is Sibo, or the Sebastian Alexander Bonet. Hey, Uncle Sias. Hey, nephew. How are you? Hello. Go ahead okay. and ask a question, please. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was being cordial, goddammit. Okay. So this is my question. First off, I commend everybody on the show tonight. It's an entertaining show um, and informational show as well. My biological mother here uh, works uh, with HIV, AIDS, and prevention at an agency called Big Bang Cares. And what we have or what they um, have found out is that um, a lot of it comes from, I guess, the miseducation of the virus and what it can do. Um, about six years ago, there's a place about 20 minutes away uh, called Quincy, Florida, uh, that had a 90% uh, HIV AIDS rate per capita in their city. Um, and it is a very rural, very impoverished area. So my question is, um, in your area, that's not per se the big city, I guess, like Tallahassee is, where you do have the resources uh, to reach out and get your tests done and all that good stuff. What can those persons do in those impoverished areas uh, to still get the information but uh, be secure in the information that they're receiving? Hmm. Well, I guess I'll chime in and say something. Here in Louisiana, we have little small towns and stuff like that, and it is so hard for someone, especially someone who um, may be in the LGBT community, to go into their local health unit because the city is so small. So you go in, everybody knows everybody. Your mama's cousin, nephew works there, and and in smaller towns, everybody's not so in tune like, with HIPAA laws and stuff like that. They're not so, it's just like, hey, you know, they're going to go home and tell mom so-and-so. So a lot of those people in those small communities don't utilize the agencies within their community. They usually go outside of their community and go, you know, to the next county over, something like that for their care, for um, testing and all those things. So generally, I mean, I would suggest that they go outside because if you're not comfortable with having that done in your city. And if you can't find it, you know, HIV401.org, you can find um, a local testing, um, go online and find somewhere that's testing near you. Put in your say, that, say that again, Sayez, what is that again? Um, um, HIV401.org, yeah, HIV401.org. Okay, thank is you. Is it Aquarius? Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so, so Sebastian, did they answer your question, darling? Yeah, good. They did. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually on one of my. Y'all don't pay Sebastian any mind. He's a sweetheart, though. But he was on one of my other shows um, not too long ago. So, thank you, Sebastian. And thank you, Rio. And to the other person who who did have you know have a question, but I don't know what happened. Thank you as well. Um, just for even tuning in and listening. So um, we have about 17 minutes. Well, really, we have about, I'm going to say, 14 minutes because um, we do have our closing and everything. But I do want to um, I do want to talk about really quickly, we talked about it on the last show, but I definitely want, I think we need to bring it back. Um, we talked about PrEP on the show back in March. 
Um, PrEP, you know, basically means pre-exposure prophylaxis. And it's the use of anti-HIV medication that keeps HIV-negative people from becoming infected. Now, PrEP is approved by the FDA and has been shown to be safe and effective. The medication interferes with HIV's ability to copy itself into the body after you've been exposed. Now, even though PrEP has been in, around in, in the U.S. for, you know, well over a year or so, more than that probably, not a lot of people know about it. And even fewer people feel like they know enough about it to be able to make an informed decision about whether or not, you know, if they want to use it or not. So, guys, what more information can you provide us regarding PrEP? You know, is it proven to be another safe mechanism to prevent the passing of HIV and AIDS? Like, what are the side effects? How expensive is it? You know, give us some more information, that sort of thing. Well, okay, I'll go. (laughs) Well, it has been proven to be effective. However, a lot of people have concerns about the side effects now. It's just like we're taking any other medication. There there are side effects, a possibility of um, some type of um, effect on your kidneys, and, of course, you, your doctor would check your kidney functions like they would if they were putting you on any other medication. There's a, a list of um, tests that are done prior to being a person being placed on these medications. There are studies all over the country that um, are offering PrEP. However, for an average person, and just in my opinion, PrEP is, is, is beneficial to the community. However, the average person just can't afford it. Okay, not, so, so it's real expensive. Have, it's very expensive. If you don't have health insurance, okay, and even with health insurance, the copay mm-hmm. could run you up to eight hundred dollars. Oh Jesus! So, and I and I was going to go right, in because it is an HIV drug. I went to yeah, but not eight hundred dollars. So it's very expensive. So it's like kind of defeats the purpose because the, the communities that are affected the most. Mm-hmm where it would, having PrEP in that community would be mm. beneficial, they can't afford it. So it's like... So so, is, so can that side has be the reason why we don't necessarily really hear it a lot? It's because... And I we don't hear, hear it a lot from, because... It's, because it's so expensive, and they so they already think or believe that we're not going to pay that anyway, so we're not really going to right. put any focus on it. Yeah. Really I mean, they, they they put it out there, but they didn't... They, didn't they don't stress it. Yeah, now, I know there were you know, programs in D.C. giving it out to people. Um, I'm not necessarily well-versed in it because it's a market positive. I don't need it. But I know that there were some programs in D.C. that were giving it out to um, people who felt like they were at high risk for catching HIV. Mm. I might okay. get it. Some people think if you're on PrEP, that means you're a thought and you're sleeping around, but that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case. <laughs> yeah. um, some people just use it as another line of defense for right. HIV. Um, especially being a homosexual African-American male in a high-risk area. Okay. And also, if you have a positive partner and you want to remain negative, you know, that is one opportunity to give you to just to say, you know what, I'm here for you, I love you, for real, for real, and I'm going to take steps into making sure that I stay negative and make sure that you stay healthy. Andrew, let me ask you this. How do you feel about having sexual intercourse with someone who is HIV negative? And do you think that positive people would rather just date and interact with other positive people for fear of infecting the negative individual? Individual. You know, I um, I don't necessarily have any ill feelings towards sleeping around and or dating someone that is negative. I want to first of all make sure that they are 
fully aware and understand and educated about my condition. Mm-hmm. However, I'll be lying to myself if I say I don't feel more comfortable dating someone and sleeping with someone else who is positive because they already know firsthand what it is that I've gone through. There's no ice to be broken. We're both mm-hmm. on one page. Me personally speaking, I do feel a bit more comfortable dating and interacting with other positive people because they already, to a certain extent, know my fucking story. Whereas there's only so much someone that's negative can tell you, only so much that someone can tell you that has been through the exact same thing that you've been through. So it's just a lot easier dating someone that's positive. First, and then I'm and like, then I'm sure it could be nerve wracking just for on both parts when it comes down to. You know, always having to test and always having to make sure, even that you, even though you're practicing safe sex and all of that good stuff, you know, I'm sure it could be nerve-wracking as a positive person because it's like, okay, you know, you, you dread the, you dread to hear that your boyfriend has now, you know, contracted HIV and you're the one who gave it to him, and now you kind of have to live right. with that subconsciously, or even a person that's negative, you know, them having to always like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I love him, da, 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 but I just don't know, you know, the what if. their mind are always wondering, what if. It always, and then as we know, a lot of gay relationships don't last long. You know, I'm just being honest, you know. Um, they, they don't last as long. So it's just like, okay, well, I've now gotten this um, this virus. I have to live with it. My ex gives So it's just so much. Um, but I, I totally I, I, I totally get it. I totally understand that. So that's why I went to ask that. Because um, I'm sure, you know, there's, there's people out there that feel the same way that you do. They just rather interact with someone that, that is positive, you know, cuts down a lot of the um, the, the, the white tape and the, uh, the yellow tape and all that kind of stuff. So let me ask this. Oh, okay. um, well, it's, it's to everybody. I'm giving everybody a miss. And this may be the last little bit that we can do. But I, I enjoy the conversation. Um, so let's talk about myths. There, there are so many myths surrounding HIV, and I thought that with this group of people, you know, that we could eliminate these myths. So even though some may say, hey, you know, like I said, it's 2014, we're so, you know, technology-driven that the rumors and the myths could easily be suppressed, but, but that's really not the case. So I'm going to give each one of you a myth, and I want you to speak to why that is simply a myth. Okay, so speak to speak to that myth, however you want to speak to it, um, and then we'll, we'll basically we'll close the show after that. So sound good to everybody? Everybody good? Good. Okay. So this first one is going to go to uh, Jaquarius. <laughs> the first myth: I'm HIV positive. My life is over. So speak to that person that that Man, that, that has I said would that. Say- I would say, first and foremost, excuse my language, bullshit. Just like um, a lot of people watch the have have nots, and when Hannah said, it's the blood in his veins still warm. And as long as you have life, you matter, and that you are somebody. So the myth of your life being over because you contract HIV, bullshit. Thank you so very much. So, Sayed, this is yours. You ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm receiving treatment, if if I'm re- if I'm receiving treatment, I can't spread the HIV virus. Okay. Of course, we covered this. So of course, you can spread the virus as long as you're HIV positive. There is a chance, no matter how low. Um, uh, the amount of virus in your system, there is still a chance of you spreading that virus. So to protect yourself, 
as well as protecting others, be safe. Because not only are you taking a chance on spreading uh, HIV to your partner, but also whatever your partner has, you're taking a chance on bringing that into your into your life. You know, you don't want a co-infection with something else going on with your HIV. That person has syphilis, gonorrhea, or something else going on, and now you've brought that into your life. Okay, thank you so much, Saez. Now, Andrew, you're up next. Um, myth number three, my partner and I are both HIV positive. There's no reason for us to practice safer sex. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's definitely a myth, only because it depends on what strand of virus you and your partner has. He may have something that um, your body is resistant to and vice versa, meaning um, let's say, for instance, you, you, you happen to wipe up a thought who done blacked out the entire genome shore. They're at the point where they have to take injectable medication. You do not want what they have because then you have to be in their exact same predicament. So that is definitely a myth. Okay, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. And Danny, last but certainly not least, uh, you can't get HIV from oral sex. First of all, that is a, <laughs> the myth is you can become infected through unprotected oral sex with an infected partner. Mm-hmm. Tell them how. So. How? How? By allowing that person to ejaculate in your mouth, to come in your mouth, to shoot nut in your mouth. Let me, you know, use layman terms. Uh, <laughs> to come in your mouth, to shoot nut in your mouth. And how that happens is you could have um, open embrasion, you could have um, an abscess, you could have where you, <laughs> you have, you could have brushed your teeth. Um, prior to engaging in oral sex, and therefore the toothbrush has made these microscopic cuts in your gums. And some people are just bleeders by nature, and so mm-hmm. you never want to have a port of entry for anything. Don't let don't let their fluids become your fluids. Thank you so very much. So you appreciate can be, that. Go ahead. Go ahead don't Andy. swallow. Oh, wait, no, I'm done. I'm done. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, oh, they say it's better to swallow than. Spit. Spit. Okay, I thought somebody said spit. Yeah, yeah it's that's better to swallow than spit. Better yeah, to swallow than spit. What did it say? Swallow, swallow or spit, but don't let it sit is what we said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what you said. Just hold it. Make up your mind. What you going to do with it? Make up your mind. What you going to do with it? Swallow or spit, but don't let it sit. Swallow or spit, but don't let it sit. Okay, thank you. I love that. You said it last time. It's switch your spit. Yeah. I love it. So, um, okay, so you say swish and spit. Why you say really quickly? Yeah, that means swish and spit. Quickly, get your little little bit of water to swish and, and okay, get gotcha. it out. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, the force of spitting could actually push it into something else if you want to. Right, and that's why they say swallow, because you flush your, you have the potential that if somebody pre-cum or ejaculated in your mouth, you have the potential just to swallow it and take it on back. Now, if you have a cut, between the lip and your bottom gum, you have some kind of barrier covering it. But if you flush your mouth forward, now you are basically coating that embrasure yeah. in that mouth. And so where yeah. you would have bypassed it if you spit, I mean, if you swallow, now you 
hit it fitting. Okay. Thank That's you so much. I asked scientists was swallowing nut testing his theory out. <laughs> <laughs> you said what, Andrew? And then, you know, HIV. Go ahead. Go ahead. Who else can Andrew. You know, with HIV, you know, it's going to die in your stomach with the stomach acid. And, mm, you know, it cool. dies outside of the body as well. But any other STD, I mean, you can get gonorrhea chlamydia by right. swallowing. Yeah. So, but. If you swallow cum, you're not going to get HIV that way unless you okay. hit something in your mouth. All right. Thank yes. you so very much, guys. It has to be a point of because I need to wrap it up. we got four minutes left. But I, I want to tell you, I, I played earlier, there was a Speak Out campaign of young men talking about, you know, being in, infected with HIV and AIDS. Um, make sure that um, if you want to join the movement and you want to speak out, you can inbox either Syed Fox Bonet, or you can also inbox Syed Fox Bonet Jr. They can actually yes, assist, you. <laughs> they can assist you with getting um, getting on the Speak Out campaign and getting active and becoming an activist or advocate in regards to that particular campaign. Um, so really quickly, guys, I want you to hold the line for me. Everyone, I want you to stay on the line and listen because, of course, I have my closing, I have my quote of the week, and I do have another um, quick, you know, a little announcement really quickly. So, guys, just hold the line for me. As many of you know, World AIDS Day is among us. Operation Stand Up is currently taking submissions for this year's I Support AIDS Awareness Campaign 2014. This is a Facebook-based campaign that helps to promote the prevention and awareness of HIV-AIDS through unity by making your picture submitted into your own promo to make your default on World AIDS Day. This campaign began in October of 2010 and has been growing internationally. So won't you join us this year? Submissions will be accepted until November 22, 2014. Here are the submission rules. Pictures must be in JPEG format, of high quality, full color, no blurry and or pixelated photos accepted, no added wording. You're going to send your photo to operationstandup at gmail.com with the subject line campaign 2014. Once you submit, go ahead and like the Operation Stand Up page and your photo will be posted as this year's campaign. All submissions will be posted on or before World AIDS Day, which will be December 1st, 2014. Let's take a stand and make a difference. Together we can. Well, guys, that's actually it for tonight's show. I want to thank the guys tonight who graced me with their presence to speak about what's plaguing the LGBTQ community and how we can all collectively come together to speak more about the virus, testing, as well as constant prevention. As always, I have to leave you guys with a quote of the week. So here's this week's quote. All things aren't meant for all people. Choose what you disclose. Again, all things aren't meant for all people. Choose what you disclose. Until next time, you all be blessed and make sure you wrap it up.